our ear is only able to hear the sound only when the frequency of that sound falls within a window. That window is actually easy to remember. It's 20 to 20,000 hertz. Hertz is the units by which we measure frequency. If you follow Shovel the Sidewalk, you know that we have a true passion for the power of storytelling through the use of sound. Sound gets people to do what we want them to do, which in our situation would be buy a product or service from, from a client. And we try to connect emotionally because people make decisions based on emotion they justify with logic later. So today we're going to get into a little bit more details and a lot of it will be way over my head. Uh, we're going to talk to Dr. Mustafa New. He's the Associate Professor in Department of Mechanical and Aerospace Engineering. What does that have to do with sound? Well, he's going to tell us in a second. Yeah, it's the School of Engineering and Applied Sciences at the University of Buffalo. And Mustafa is the Director of Sound and the Vibrations Laboratory. Mustafa, what does that even mean? <laughs> well, first of all, thanks for having me on, uh, Steve. Um, yeah, so it's a good question. Sound and vibrations, they look like they're two separate things, but they're really just two sides of the same coin. Um, if you think about sound, the spoken, the, the, I mean, the, the sound that you can hear me right now talking, that's just basically gas. That's air particles moving back and forth. And they make that trip from my mouth to your ear and you can hear it. But the same thing exactly, the same concept exactly applies to solids. So if you put your hand on your phone, it's vibrating in your pocket, you'll feel that vibrations because there is motion. And how fast that vibration is and how loud it is determines a lot of things. So if the vibrations are happening in a structure, in a solid medium, we call that vibrations. If they're happening in a liquid or fluid or, or a gas, then we call that sound. Um, and then we basically just combine the two because there are a lot of similarities. But interestingly, also one always leads to the other. So if you have that phone on, on silent mode in your pocket, uh, once it vibrates, you can hear the sound because you hear that zzz in your ear. Now that's sound, that's acoustics. But you can also feel it because that phone is vibrating right against your skin. Your sensory nerves will pick that up. You feel that vibration in your pocket as well. And so they're very close to each other, but one leads to the other, right? And so we study the, the physics or the science behind it in our lab, and that's pretty much what we do. So, okay, in your, why is that? study or research about sound and vibrations why is that important yeah it is important in many ways let me give you a couple of examples so uh, you know sound and vibrations actually take place and they impact our daily lives um, whether we notice it or not but they are very they're always there um, so i usually give that example to my students they always say in sound and vibrations there is the good the bad and the ugly so if you think about it um, when you have a system that's a smoke detector in your house or a fire alarm, um, what does it do in order to bring your you know, awareness into something happening? It just beeps, right? It produces that sound. Um, so the level of that sound and how it produces it, when it produces it, requires a study of acoustics. If you have, um, the, as I mentioned, the iPhone vibration example, um, if we want to bring um, awareness that someone is calling you, but you don't want the sound to come out, we use another form of sound, which is the solid vibrations that you feel in your pocket. If you want to generate energy uh, in a way that's free and simple and sustainable, sometimes we do what's called vibrational energy harvesting. Uh, that means you have like a pipeline or some structure or machinery that's vibrating. And we put some very smart materials on top of those vibrating structures and they are able to take that vibration, which is 
simply a form of energy and convert it to useful energy like electricity for us. Now that can be a very small amount of electricity, but that's energy that's otherwise wasted. So that's free energy for us. So that's also another way in which uh, sound impacts us. And then you can go to other applications which you probably can relate to, but you never really thought about them as sound. Because when we talk about sound, we talk about sound that we can hear. Uh, that's the audible sound. So if you take a step back and think about what we call frequency, which is how fast those gas particles are moving back and forth, our ear is only able to hear the sound only when the frequency of that sound falls within a window. That window is actually easy to remember. It's 20 to 20,000 hertz. Hertz is the units by which we measure frequency. So if I play a tone, let me see if I can pull this up. If I play a tone here with my phone around 400 or 500 hertz, you're probably going to be able to hear that. Let me try. So that's yeah. some sound that we can all hear. Yep. Now, if I, I keep the same volume and just crank up that frequency, you're going to hear the sound again, but it's going to be like a, a more high-pitched whistle. Let's try that. Great. Now, you're still able yep. to hear that. Mm -hmm. But if I keep going up beyond that 20,000 hertz and play that tone again, now you're no, not I... able to hear that. No. Now, that's we call that ultrasound. We call that ultrasonic wave. It's a wave that still exists. So the gas particles are oscillating, but they're doing it so fast that we can't hear it with our ears. Now, might not be useful in a conversation, but it does magic, right? The most simple example is medical imaging, because those sound waves that we can hear at very high frequencies, they have what we call high wave number or short wavelength. Not to complicate things, that, that property of the sound wave at a high frequency allows us to be able to capture the most intricate and most complicated details inside the human body in order to see a baby in the, in the fetus or uh, detect a medical condition by bouncing off sound waves at this high frequency and then reflecting back and then we measure them and we're able to recreate that image. So uh, that's one way in which sound is important to study. Not only the medical example, which you can all relate to an ultrasound in the medical sense, but there's also ultrasound in the structural sense. So if there's a building or there's a structure that has a, a crack in it, the structure itself has some health. We call that structural health monitoring. We need to monitor that structure all the time in order to detect that crack at an early stage or that failure at an early stage and be able to resolve it before the entire thing collapses and comes down. Right? So it's not only important to study the, the, the good thing about sound, but also the damage that it can cause to a structure. I'll give you an example. If you look up the, uh, uh, if you Google, just type Tacoma Bridge, State of Washington. That's a bridge that was a phenomenal project when it was built in 1940, July of 1940, and only a few months later in November, it came down, collapsed. The only reason it collapsed is that people didn't factor in some aspects of vibrations and sound when they designed it. So the structure is known to be sensitive to a specific frequency or a bunch of frequencies, and that wasn't taken into consideration or accounted for when it was designed. So when the, uh, cr the cars, when the traffic over that bridge uh, happened to trigger or activate that frequency, that entire gigantic structure behaved like a thin, flimsy piece of paper and it started to vibrate at a crazy amplitude and it came down, something we call the resonance effect. So that's the ugly aspect of vibration. So whether it's the good or the bad, we need to account for vibrations. We can take advantage of it when we can, but we can also mitigate it. We can dampen it and we can lower the amplitude whenever we can. So we study both aspects. We come to the problem from both sides in my lab and we try to you know, reduce or uh, dampen the sound when we need to in a smart way, but we also need to amplify it and take advantage of it when we can when it serves a purpose or an application. So we were talking before uh, we started uh, this episode 
uh, because it is difficult for somebody outside of the engineering world, maybe even inside, to understand, you know, what what it is you guys, what it is you do. Um, I mean, you're engineers. So, but one of the things you talked about was a lot of your work also, it's, it's, I don't remember how you termed it, but it's not about now, it's about 10 or 20 years from now, which is pretty cool. So there are things that you're working on now that we may experience 20 years from now, basically, is what you're doing, correct? That's exactly right. Uh, so in my lab, so the University of Buffalo is a research intensive university, which, which means that it does serve the students, it teaches the students, but it has a large research component, meaning that professors have to maintain active research programs, they have to have uh, independent research programs which are externally funded and sponsored. Now within that system, there are people who do fundamental early stage research like myself, and there are people who do intermediate to applied research. And so any technology that you uh, basically are taking advantage of and enjoying right now has passed through those stages, starting from a crazy idea in someone's mind that no one believed to uh, that idea being developed and groomed a little bit to a proof of concept and then to uh, polishing it and optimizing it to the point where it becomes commercially feasible and then you start to sell it and make profit or benefit humanity. So I do fundamental research. I'm, I've always been crazy about the, the math and the science and the physics behind uh, a lot of phenomena, including sound. And so what we do is we think about those very high risk ideas, but that also can yield a very high return on the investment if someone is to believe in that idea. And then we work on those ideas and to prove a concept, a simple concept, that concept is very far away from commercialization at this point, but it's still equally important to believe in it and support it, right? So my job here is to convince uh, people that my vision for something that's going to be true in 20 or 15 years is actually, um, or it makes sense or is reasonable and they do. And then they start to sponsor us and they give us funding. And then we have students who try to work on proving that this concept is not crazy. We go from a crazy idea to something that's more feasible what we call a proof of concept. So we either build a small prototype, we show in a simulation or a model that what we actually claimed to be true is true, or our hypothesis is actually valid. And then someone from the industry uh, would become more interested in that idea and then would start to uh, take us to the next step to provide more complicated equipment, provide more uh, factors to take account for, uh, account of, in order to make that thing appealing to consumer. But that's not really what we do. That's a stage that's uh, maybe five to ten years beyond what we do in the sound of vibrations lab. So that's what I meant by fundamental research. So I can give you some examples of those crazy ideas um, that 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 we work on that are not something that you can go to a Radio Shack or an Amazon.com and buy right now. Um, right now we're really focused on, and that will sound crazy, but breaking the the norms of, of of physical laws that govern sound. Let me try to take a step back and explain what that means. So if you drop a uh, uh, rock or a small piece or stone in a, in a swimming pool or a lake that's really calm, what you will notice is a bunch of uh, concentric circles just coming out in all directions for, with that, that, where that stone falls in the water. Uh, these are waves. I just mentioned the example of water because water waves are easier to think of than sound waves that we can't see. But they are concentric and they're equal radius. And so what that means is that waves will travel naturally in a symmetric manner. Symmetry is an important and profound concept of any wave propagation. So when I speak to you, uh, Steve, and you speak to me, the medium between us has not changed. And so if I'm able to speak to you, you should be able to speak to me. I can't really break that symmetry, uh, or sometimes we call it the reciprocity. 
So if you think of a one-way street in terms of traffic, if you're traveling down a street that just, just that says at the beginning, do not enter, the cars are just gonna be flowing in that direction from this point A to point B, but they're not allowed to come back from point B to point A. Now, sadly, sound doesn't behave that way. If I'm able to send sound from me to you, that means that I need to be able to receive sound from you to me. I can't really prevent that. It's not out of my control because sound is symmetrical and is reciprocal in nature. Yet, uh, that has not been broken yet because that's one of the things we're trying to work on is to how to intentionally break that symmetry in the way that sound travels. So I would be able to create an environment where if I drop that rock in the middle of the pond, the waves would start to go in one direction, for example here, but not really in that other direction. There's a lot of ways in which we can do those. So my task right now is to prove the concept and not worry too much about is this prototype going to be too big, too expensive, too complicated to fabricate. These are not the factors that I worry about right now. What I, what I worry about right now is to do the math, to do the physics behind it, to make sure that it will work. And then at some other stage, and that's also very doable, someone else is going to try to optimize the cost using new fabrication techniques, using new manufacturing techniques, and also take into account all the new pieces of equipment that we can, we can uh, work on to bring the cost down, to make it maybe smaller or larger, depending on the application, to optimize it in order to make it tempting to a consumer at the very end. Um, that's one thing we work on. Another thing we work on is um, to break the trade-off that happens in nature uh, between the properties of materials. Let me try to explain that. If you think about a piece of copper, aluminum, or steel, you're probably thinking something that's strong. Metals are known for their strength and their ability to carry loads and uh, to be a robust structure in a big uh, architectural uh, project. But they're not really known for their ability to, to you know, absorb a shock or to dampen um, sound. If you think about a musical studio where someone is trying to record a song, usually they line up the walls with very soft rubbery type uh, materials. These materials are very good and they're known for their damping ability, their absorption ability, but nothing is perfect. They're not as strong or able to carry heavy loads like upper aluminum or steel. And so this is a trade-off. That's a coupling between two different materials, uh, between two different properties of a material. Its stiffness, its strength from one side, and its ability to dampen vibrations and sound from the other side. And we have found that whether it's in natural materials or even composites uh, that people try to work on in a lab, chemists, material scientists try to put stuff together to reinforce materials, whether it's this or that, whether it's natural materials or artificial ones, that coupling happens. High stiffness is usually accompanied by a very low damping, and very high damping is usually accompanied by a low stiffness. So we can't really get the best of both worlds. That's, again, a crazy idea to so someone to say that, hey, let's think about a material which is really excellent from an acoustic standpoint. It can, it can absorb as much sound as a soft rubbery polymer would, but also is strong and as hard and, and, and functional and stiff as steel or concrete or something of that nature. That doesn't exist. So we call that a meta-material. We try to work on this concept of a meta. The word meta or the prefix meta in Greek just means beyond or after. And here it's just beyond what nature is able to offer us. So we really try to understand how the waves propagate in materials, and then we create artificially synthesized something that's different, that's going to be able to manipulate that wave in a different way that allows us to absorb it while not compromising its ability to be strong and, and carry a heavy load. So we break that coupling that happens in the properties of natural materials. So with the work you're doing on now, the work you're, the, what you guys are doing now, we may 
be utilizing in 20 years. 20 years ago, you mentioned the iPhone earlier because you had the phone and then you were doing the sounds on the phone. Yep. Was it 20 years ago that someone had this crazy, was that the kind of stuff you're, you're talking yeah, that's about? Yeah, uh, that's a great example. Um, we work on something called smart materials. That's a, that's a field that has really developed and matured over the years. But 20 years ago, that was still in its infancy, very immature, scientifically speaking. And so people were as crazy as I am right now, thinking of a material which would be able to vibrate, right? The way that your iPhone vibrates, if it's given a voltage signal. People were thinking, okay, what's, how's that gonna happen, right? These are two different things. These electricity from one side and mechanical vibrations from the other side. And they started to think about those materials and they were able to find them and optimize them and fabricate them in smart ways. Uh, you probably, I don't know if you heard that word before, but there's something called a piezoelectric material. It's spelled P-I-E-Z-O. This was a groundbreaking discovery at some point, which is the ability of some materials to be able to exhibit a mechanical deformation. They can move when they are given an electric voltage, right? That's a bridge connecting two physical universes together, electricity from one side and mechanics from the other. And so what they did after years of development and fundamental research is they're able to put small actuators, small pieces of that piezo material inside our phones. And so that when the phone wants to vibrate, it can simply bring about that vibration sort of on demand. Just give it a small voltage, it would vibrate when someone calls you and you feel that vibration in your pocket, right? That's something that took a while to develop. So let's hope that my ideas don't take 20 years, but yeah, usually that's a long process that we have to go through. I think you're on mute. Wrong button, okay. So you personally, did you always wanna be an engineer? And 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 maybe there's some engineering undergrads that, that can benefit from, from this part of the conversation. Did you always want to be an engineer? And then, and then how did you end up in this part yeah. of engineering? Um, why, you know, why sound and, and then why going on to become a, a professor? Why a PhD? Tell us your story. Uh, sure. So I, I can't say that I always wanted to be, uh, you know, a sound and vibrations research scientist. That, that would be a lie. Um, that's something that uh, I came to realize at a later stage. But I, what I did know early on, even as a high school student, is that I really, I fell in love with math and physics. Both my parents are, are, are doctors, they're physicians. And so um, I was exposed to biology and, and, and at an early stage, I just found that that's not my cup of tea. And so I just fell in love with math and physics and they were just, you know, you know, you know what, you, you just found your passion, go for it. Even though they had no idea what engineering is about or how to help me with that process or that journey, but I just went where I found um, my preferences in terms of education. So I went to the uh, Cairo University, it's a university in Egypt, a public university, the biggest one actually, and I studied mechanical engineering uh, for four years. At that point, I was really fascinated by the concepts of heat, uh, thermal energy, like you know, HVAC, heating, ventilation, air conditioning. And I studied, this is also a part of mechanical engineering, so I haven't really drifted far off. Um, but my passion for math and physics paid off because I was able to uh, get good scores and the end of those good scores and wanted to pursue research. Uh, one thing I did at my third undergraduate year was I pursued a research opportunity in Europe, particularly in Oslo, Norway. And that's when I got exposed to research. That was new to me. I always knew I'm, I'm a good um, mathematician. I'm working with equations quite fine. I'm comfortable with that environment, but I really didn't know what research means until that very first experience. And that's why I keep telling my undergrads right now, 
uh, if there's if there's a professor working on a project that is open to undergraduate uh, students, go for it by all means. It's something that you want to try, at least in order to find out whether you have that passion or not. You're not going to be able to tell before trying that. And so I had that experience, and I came back from Norway uh, with a completely changed mindset, which is I'm not, I'm going to stay here. I'm going to I want to do this for 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 life. Um, and so I, I went on to become a research assistant at uh, a private university in Egypt. And then that's when I got introduced to the concept of acoustics. At that time, there was a professor there that's working on a heat engine, as fascinating as that idea is, that would be able to produce sound from heat energy. So they connected my two uh, passions at the time, which is uh, thermal and, and heat transfer from one side and, and what became my second passion, sound, from the other side. I worked with that professor for a year. And then I started to, to think, okay, now maybe I'm taking this to another level. I should probably start thinking about a PhD because I'm already doing the research. I might as well uh, get a degree out of it and then pursue my, my dream to become a professor. Um, one thing I also had learned sort of simultaneously at that time is I do love teaching. And so when I asked people around me, what is the one job where I'd be able to teach but also do research on the side, that, that the answer was pretty easy, just become a professor. And that's where I started my journey. And so with that very small research experience behind me, I was able to apply for uh, a bunch of different universities, some in Europe, some in the US. Uh, and then I, I, I was fortunate enough to receive uh, an offer to pursue my, my PhD at the University of Maryland, College Park, uh, under Professor uh, Amr Baz, who does his research on acoustics. And so I, I, I made the move, the bold move of just, you know, traveling across, across the globe to the US to, to study, uh, to finish my PhD. And then after I finished my PhD, it just became a matter of time where I just wanted to become a professor so bad that I started applying for professor jobs and only professor jobs. And it took me about a year and a half of doing that until I was able to uh, find my University of Buffalo assistant professor position uh, where they actually wanted someone to uh, start a sound and vibrations lab and, and take it to the next level. And that's what I did over the past six or seven years. And, and here we are. So your message to students is, is go for it. What, what, what message do you have for, um, you know, potential sponsors or other what are they, program managers or um, other uh, uh, businesses that, that might consider funding some of your research? Do you have a, do you have a message for, for them? Uh, sure. Uh, so First of all, uh, visit us. <laughs> we are able to show you some of the really great things that we're able to do here. Uh, my, my work has always been uh, a combination of experiments and theories. So we're not just boring people writing equations on the board. We also build stuff. And so we're able to always validate what we do and, and show people some small scale demonstrations, lab scale demonstrations of the stuff that we're doing. Um, but one thing I, I would say is that uh, in order for us to get that funding from program managers, uh, in addition to communicating with them to like having that phone call, inviting them over um, is what we call proposals. Uh, we, they ask us to write uh, a long document which articulates uh, what the idea is, uh, the steps that we're going to take in order to accomplish that idea, and uh, the timeline and the costs required. That We call that a proposal that takes about half my time goes into that process of writing proposals to secure funding for the next generation of students. And so, thankfully, the program managers I've been dealing with so far have been, uh, for the most part, open to my ideas, uh, open to reading those proposals, and then they send them out to technical experts who review them whenever needed. Uh, and so, I, I, nothing to complain there. I'm really happy about that. 
the one message I have is for local companies here at the at Buffalo is to take that same step, try to invest more in research and development. Um, the funding I've had so far has been National Science Foundation, you know, Air Force Research Lab has been sort of government funding, which is a blessing. But there is a need for the local industries to take more interest and, uh, and start investing in research that's happening at the University of Buffalo. I know that Buffalo is actually a great sound of vibration city. I know this, I keep telling my students the same thing. Um, just off the top of my head, we have Moog downtown, we have BMW, which is Buffalo Manufacturing Works down on Main Street. We have uh, ITT Inodyne, which is a vibration damping company uh, down in Orchard Park. And so there is a lot of avenues where my students who graduate and take my classes, they're able to easily find jobs in those places. Now, if those places can partner with the University of Buffalo in order to bring about the next generation of uh, vibration technologies, that would be a really uh, an interesting thing and a plus for a win-win for both. What about time travel? <laughs> Can you what make that it? happen? So funny you should mention that. Um, <laughs> we can't make time travel happen, but remember that example I told you about a few minutes ago about breaking the symmetry of how waves travel? Uh, one way we achieve that is through what we call temporal modulation. So let me, let me simplify that example. If you are you know, sitting on a table right now, that table is made out of a specific material, that material has properties, right? So the moment you tell me, hey, my table is made out of wood, this specific type of wood, I will be able to look that up and tell you exactly how stiff it is, how much damping it has, all the, its density, how, how, how much it, uh, it weighs at specific length or, or width. But here's the thing, those properties, once I tell them to you, they're fixed, right? 20 seconds from now, or even 20 days from now, they're gonna be exactly the same. Um, and that's actually one of the reasons why sound is symmetrical in nature. Turns out that's a fundamental constraint that we have. It's that those properties are stagnant. They're static. They don't change. And so one of the crazy ideas that we worked on and we've able, able to generate some really nice results is to break that uh, static nature of material properties and make them travel over time or change over time. So you would be standing in front of a structure which is soft now and just a few seconds later becomes hard and then becomes soft again and just cycles through these different material properties. Right? So we proved that mathematically, if you're able to do that, right? just assume for a second that we have that magical material, that we're able to have that material and fabricate it, then we're going to be successful in breaking the symmetry of how waves propagate, how sound goes. We, can able, we are able to now create that one-way street that I was talking about earlier for sound waves. And so our next step, that was a project on its own, and then our next step was, okay, how are we going to actually find out or be able to physically realize a material with properties that just change over time. And that's what we started thinking about metamaterials or smart materials. Those are materials which respond in a unique way to external environments. And so if we can tune that external environment, be it an electric voltage or a magnetic field, in order to either strengthen or soften a material, then we have that knob, we have that switch, and then we're able to control exactly how the material property will evolve over time, make it softer, make it stronger, make it softer, make it stronger, and then we cycle through them we're able to create that material property that we were looking for. We put those two pieces of the puzzle together. And here we go. We have our non-reciprocal acoustic structure, the one-way street for sound waves. All right. That was deep. That was pretty, <laughs> that was pretty intense. I'm well, not time sure travel if, for you. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if I completely understand it, but it's not like I would ever understand time travel anyway, right? Um, Statue of Liberty is behind you. I, I know for a fact that congratulations to you and to your wife that you both recently became American citizens. So 
tell me about that experience. You're, you, you, I know you traveled the world, but you were, you were born uh, in, in Egypt. Um, are you staying in the U.S. now? And this is it? This is your new home? Uh, it is, yes. Uh, so I, I, did, I was born and raised in Egypt, spent uh, all my um, teenage years and my uh, college years in Egypt. Uh, and then I started to, I, I actually traveled a little bit for sports, for different stuff when I was young. And then I traveled again for that research experience I told you about. But my main or my first time traveling abroad for a long period of time was that trip that I made or that decision that I made to go to Maryland to, to, start, to start my PhD. At that point, I really wasn't sure what's next. I was just fascinated by research and, and I knew I needed to finish my PhD and that's what I went for. Uh, but that was 2009. Here we go. We are 13, yeah, 13 years later, 13 years and a couple of months later. Uh, and that's how long it took me. But I went from becoming a student on a student visa to an employee on a worker's visa to a permanent resident on a green card to a United States citizen. And so uh, it's a journey I've been blessed to have. And I'm really happy here uh, in Buffalo and in the U.S. And uh, look forward to what's going to come next. Can, um as as a, an immigrant to the United States, what can you tell us what's so special? Why the United States? I just feel like when a lot of us that are born here, it's like uh, uh, I grew up in Buffalo, but I, I went away to school and then I, I stayed away for uh, whatever. I was gone for like 15 years. And people talk about Niagara Falls here. We just like it's Niagara Falls, but for others, it's like, wow, it's Niagara Falls. Um, I don't know that might be a weak analogy, but I feel like as Americans, often we take America for granted. And I'm asking you if you see that and uh, um, speak, speak to that, speak to America and what you've you know, what you've noticed about it. And am I, do you think that we take our liberties here for granted? Um, yeah, I guess some people do. Sometimes I see it. Uh, it's hard for me to take America for granted because I wasn't born here. So um, I, I take, I take it very seriously. The, 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 the quality of life that I have here, the, the ability to be able to do what I do for a living and, and, and have a good life. And that's actually, uh, to answer your question, that was the main motivation, at least the initial motivation for me to come here. Uh, when I started doing research, I was actually, I had a good, great education in Egypt, one of the biggest public universities, and didn't pay a lot of money at all, actually, almost nothing. Um, it's when I wanted to take that next step, uh, when I wanted to be in a place where the state of the art is, uh, where the most advanced sciences and technologies are, uh, is when I started to think, okay, maybe the U.S. would be uh, the, the optimal venue here. At that time, I wasn't, I've never lived in the U.S. before, I actually never even visited the U.S. before. But when I came here and I started doing my PhD, I started to realize that um, that there is a reason why uh, you have your iPhone. Uh, there is a reason why the, the state of the art is here, whether it's a, a, a technology, a device that you have in your hand, or whether it's like a crazy idea that someone did, entrepreneurship, you know, startups, small businesses. I started to realize there is a reason why this stuff is happening here. It's not a coincidence. The research and development um, budget that the U.S. has uh, is is huge, and it covers all aspects of research from fundamental, as I mentioned earlier, to intermediate to, to uh, applied research. Now, as someone who takes advantage of that, I have to be very careful uh, to pitch ideas that actually are going to pay off to make people's lives better and 
sometimes I basically spending taxpayers' money, so I have to be even more prudent and more careful about that. Nonetheless, uh, this is the reason why this country is where it is, is where, because people believe in those ideas and they're able to uh, invest in them and put their entire support uh, in a research environment, whether it's my university or a uh, Department of Energy Research Lab or even the Department of Defense Research Lab or an industry somewhere, and then take that research slowly to fruition, right? I've been to a lot of places around the world where applied research is very important, but people really don't start to invest their money unless they see that thing 10, 15 years down the road, and now they're pretty certain and confident that it's going to become the next big thing, right? But guess what? You don't get to take ownership uh, of that next big thing, right? So that's why the next big thing is always is, has been the U.S., um, especially from the engineering standpoint. I can see this. I can attest to it, and I feel it because that's my life, right? So I'm uh, uh, pitching those ideas, and I'm able to uh, teach them to my students and be able to work on them, and at the same time, uh, you know, show off and be on your show talking about them. Well, we're glad you're here, Mustafa. We're glad you uh, you brought your brain power. Uh, by the way, I mean, I was looking at some of your stuff when you talk about, was it the University of Cairo? Yeah, you were number one in your class. So then there's that. That's out of what, 300, 400 students. You're 4-0 at University of Maryland as, and 4-0 as a PhD. So uh, we appreciate the work you do. Um, glad you're here. Congratulations on your success and wishing you continued success. And congratulations on the uh, the citizenship. Uh, so Dr. Mustafa New, Associate Professor, Department of Mechanical and Aerospace Engineering, School of Engineering and Applied Sciences at the State University uh, of New York at Buffalo, Director of Sound and Vibrations Laboratory. Thanks, man. Appreciate, uh, appreciate all your thoughts. Thanks, Steve. And okay. if you want to find us, just Google UBSVL. That will come up as the first search result. SVL stands for Sound S Vibrations Lab. Okay, UB, just the letters U and B, in case you're yep. not from around here. UB, University of Buffalo, UBSVL, Sound Vibrations Lab. UB Sound Vibrations Lab. Or you can also Google search uh, Dr. Mustafa New at the University of Buffalo. Thanks again. Thanks again. If um, you have a story or a passion that you want to express or you know somebody that does, you can always uh, check out our website and, and fill out a form and we'll get back to you and, and uh, help you and utilize this platform to get your message across. You can listen to uh, any of our previous episodes of Sidewalk Talk uh, wherever you listen to your podcast. You can also watch them uh, on YouTube. And they're also on our website, if that's where you want to go, which is shovelthesidewalk.com. That's shovelthesidewalk.com. Thanks for listening and watching. Thanks again to Dr. Mustafa New. I'm Steve Fortunato, and this has been Sidewalk Talk.